I, I, work, I, work for the, I work as an Air Force chaplain. That's what I do. But on Sundays, you'll see me sitting there, usually in the back. Uh, and it's, it's kind of weird. I was like, I guess, I guess it, it's somewhat appropriate that I'm preaching at the missions month here. But uh, I'm going to say something which may make you really uncomfortable today. So if I do, and it makes you really uncomfortable, and you want to talk to me about it, at the end of service, I'll be right up here. You can come talk to me, punch me, whatever you want to do. Because I want to talk about missions the way I see it and the way I think the Bible talks about it. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter uh, 18. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis 18. And it's the story of, of Abraham. Uh, let me, even before I read this, let me, let me get, give you a little bit of background. Abraham was called by God to be a missionary. Right? I mean, that's what he, he, was, he was. He had grown up in Ur of the Chaldeans. He was, he was an urbanite and this really influential metropolis. And his dad, when he was an adult and married, uh, when, when he, was an, he, he moved to this place called Haran. So it's, it, it was, if you look in the Middle East, it, it's modern-day Iraq is where he was. And he moved to, like, modern-day Syria. And by the time we get to Genesis 18, he, he's in modern-day, he's in the West Bank. The, the Oaks of Mamre are where, where today uh, Ramit al-Khalil is. And you could see it. They, they have a, a site where you can go to the Oaks of Mamre. And you could see where... Uh, we are in our passage today. So we're going to be in Genesis 18. Can you uh, entertain me? Could you stand up? I love standing when we read God's word just because I feel like it just shows respect to God and his word kind of the way we would if President Biden walked in the room or, I don't know, BTS, whoever. Anyway, <laughs> Genesis 18. Let's read. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to dead with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it. If I find 30 there, he said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You could take your seat. Let me say a quick prayer. God, uh, may the words of my mouth, may the, may the meditations of our hearts really be pleasing to you. May, may you, as our sister men prayed, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And ultimately, may it charge us to be your disciples and to make disciples. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I started 
by saying that Abraham was a missionary. I'm going to be completely honest with you, though. I really don't like the term missionary or even the term missions or even a missions month. How ironic, right? It's really ironic because I'm speaking here at Missions Month. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you why. The, the word missionary first came into existence, turn with me in the Bible, in uh, Nehemiah chapter, I'm kidding, it's not in the Bible. The word missions and the term missionary was first used by Jesuits in the 16th century when they were sending out missions to all over the world. You know, some of them you could you even hear about their, their, their cities named after them, San Diego, San Francisco. Those were Jesuit missions. And so there's a problem I have when we talk about missionaries, and in our mind, we're talking about, oh, those who are like in deepest, darkest Peru, right? The, the, the missionaries, and, and you send people here like David Rowe and even Philip Chung yesterday, where, you know, you're trying to mobilize people for global missions, which is a good thing. But then you do the work of what I call compartmentalizing. And uh, I, I, how should I say this? We took and we are taking Matthew 28, right? When we talk about the, the, the passage, the Great Commission, completely out of context. And I'll tell you, most, most people, and you probably grew up this way, and you may, may probably think about it this way too. When we read Matthew 28, we read it and we say, therefore, what's the next word we think of? Therefore, I'll give you a hint. It start, it's two letters. It starts with a G, ends with an O. Therefore go, right? That's what we think missions are. It is. But if you look at that passage in the Greek, there's only one imperative verb in the whole passage, and it's not go. Go is actually subservient to the one imperative verb, and the one imperative verb in Matthew 28 is make disciples. The command, the great commission is not go. The great command, the great commission is make disciples. And so when we compartmentalize missions into, oh, you know, missions is about going. And since I'm not going, there, there are other people who go, I don't have to do the work of missions. And that's completely wrong. Beloved, every one of us, my conjecture, is a missionary. I don't like that word, but I'm just going to use it anyway. Like I said, Abraham was a missionary. And, and, and the interesting thing is Abraham looks a whole lot more like you than he looks like Pastor Owen or Pastor Bobby or Pastor Sam or Pastor Hank or whatever. Don't call me Pastor Hank, by the way. I'm just Hank, right? He looks a whole lot more like you. In fact, most of the, the, the heroes of the faith look a lot more like you than they look like me, right? They are what we have called laity, right? What you would be called laity. They were not clergy. I hate that distinction too, and I'm gonna get to that in a second. But they were all laity. You know, if you, if you go down the list of who the, the, the saints of old were like. There was Abraham. He was, he was a wealthy businessman, right? If, if you, I, I, I wrote some of these down just because my memory's bad, but there's Joseph. He was a slave inmate, prime minister, right? Any prime ministers here? No. Uh, Moses was a prince and then a shepherd. Gideon was a farmer, then he became a general. Deborah was a judge. David, shepherd, musician, king. Esther was a refugee, foreign diplomat, dependent, queen. Ruth was a displaced person. Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a tent maker. They all had what you would call normal jobs. Not one of them were fully employed by the church or by some missions organization. Beloved, I'm going to tell you something. This idea that there's those who are sent, or maybe you would say those with a higher call and those with a lower call is not biblical at all. 
We all have the same exact call. Everything else is just logistics, right? Some people we hire into full-time service, right? Whether it be Linda and Jane or Pastor Owen or whoever else, you know, sometimes we have full-time, fully employed people, and sometimes we have other people who aren't fully employed. But regardless of whether you're theologically trained or not, we are all missionaries. That includes you, that includes me, and there's no difference. There isn't, you probably grew up, especially if you grew up at a Korean American church, you grew up thinking that there were the pastors and then there were everyone else. And so for those of you who maybe had a time in your life where you were taking your faith real seriously, you probably had a time where you're like, you know, I, I really want to serve God should I become a pastor or should I become a missionary? If I really want to take my faith seriously, should I do this thing? And you prayed, God, do you want me to go be a missionary or, or go be a pastor? And, you know, for most of you, you didn't, and, and, and you probably were like, phew, <laughs> now I can live my own life, right? Instead of building your kingdom, God, I'll build your kingdom on Sundays, but Monday through Friday, I'm going to build my kingdom. Saturday, I'm going to go play golf. And that's how I'm going to live. And that's totally ruined, I think, the work of missions. Our interpretation of the Great Commission, I think, has stifled the work of bringing God's gospel to the ends of the earth. Because you and I, Abraham, we're all doing the same work. I'll tell you what a missionary looks like. He looks like Abraham. He looks like you. He looks like me. There is no clergy lady dis distinction. In fact, the Bible keeps talking about this over and over again. In 1 Peter 2.9, he calls us a royal priesthood. In 1 Corinthians 12.27, he says that we are the body of Christ. Now, there are people with different gifts. There are different officers. There are deacons. There are elders. There are people with gifts of hospitality. That's, once again, just logistics. But we all have the same call. That mission statement, CCPC, is not just for the full-time clergy here. Your charge in your life is to make disciples. Whatever you're doing. You're a stay-at-home mom, you make disciples of your children. You're a doctor, you've got to be thinking, how can I bring Christ to my patients and my staff? You're an IT worker, same thing. Do you think you're an IT worker so you can make a a salary, live a nice, comfortable life, have some nice, successful children, and one day retire and go to Hawaii and live on the beach? Is that every one of us is called to build the same kingdom and has the same universal call to be a missionary on mission and to make disciples? And if you don't believe me, I, I, I don't know what else to say. There's this uh, quote from Martin Luther. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But uh, essentially, it's an apocryphal story about uh, an executioner who, who came to him. He became a Christian. Right? And he was like, oh, Luther, Luther, I'm a Christian now. Oh, you know, what should I do? Hoping that Luther would tell them, you know, go, go be a missionary, go be a pastor or whatever. And this is what Martin Luther said to the executioner. He's like, oh, you're a Christian now. Wonderful. I want you to sharpen the blade of your axe as finely as you can. And when you make that swoop and you execute, do it the best, to the best of your ability. And I think the point he was making, we, we compartmentalize. 
right? We, 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 we give God during certain parts of our week. Uh, you know, there's certain people who, who are supposed to fully live for God, and, and then there's the rest. We, we, we think there are those who are sent and those who send. Beloved, we're all sent. Beloved, we are all Philip Chung last week, I, I love it, he quoted John Calvin. He said, our hearts are idol-making factories. And what God says we should be is disciple-making factories. That's your call and my call. There's no distinction. And I think we live in that society. We, we, we expect certain things of, full-time, of pastors that we don't expect of ourselves. right? And, and I said this in the first service, and I'll say this again. If there's something you think that Pastor Owen or... Pastor Sam or, you know, the pastoral staff here, that they, there's something they shouldn't do, then you shouldn't do it either, right? Like if one day tomorrow, Pastor Owen drives, you know, he's, he drives to the church and he's got a cyber truck and you're like, what the? Pastors can drive cyber trucks? If you say he shouldn't be able to drive a cyber truck, well, I don't think you should either. I'm just saying, let the man drive a cyber truck. Listen, <laughs> if he wants. Because every cent of every dollar, of every salary that is made here, it's not 10% belongs to God, 90% belongs to you. And it's not only the pastors are giving all. You give 100%. Everything, your, your, your expenditures of time and money and resources, the reason why you're working, the reason you're doing what you're doing and going where you're going is to make disciples. And it's, and I'll get to it in my second point, but it's, it's not... It's not what you think it is. It's, it, you know, we have such a, a glamorized view of it, and it, it, it shouldn't be that way. You know, it's, making disciples is, is a lot more natural, a lot more mundane than you, than you realize. And so I'll stop there. I'm just going to give a couple of suggestions, right? If you're tracking with me and you believe me, let me say this. Make disciples in your Jerusalem, and your Jerusalem is probably your households. Beloved, make disciples of your children. Make that the number one priority of your life. I'm not saying that you're going to ultimately be successful, but the ambitions you have for your children have to be first and foremost that they become disciples of Jesus. Pray for that. Emphasize that. Set them up for success in that. Don't prioritize academics or wealth or athletics or anything else. Prioritize their relationship with God. Keep them accountable. Are they praying? Are they coming to church? Are they, you know, I don't want to be legalistic about it, but sometimes you, if, just think about making disciples what that means of anything. You know, if, if, you, if you love your Apple phone, I bet your son will love Apple phones. And if you're showing them how much you love God, then there's a good chance that they will love God. Start in the home. What is the main message you're communicating to them? What is it that you're telling them is most important in your life and should be in their life? Make disciples there of your, of your spouses. The, you know, um, I'll, I'll say this too. Once again, we, I think we do this. We, we, we so sensationalize missions that we, don't, that we make it so far out of our reach. But I, I'm going to challenge you that maybe some of that making disciples doesn't necessarily have to be on a short-term mission trip. Some of you should take short-term mission trips. Some of you, and I'll get to this a little later, should probably move out of Nova. Maybe, right? That should be in the realm of possibility for you. But it shouldn't be just, hey, I'm going to be a missionary you know, for one week a year when I go on a short-term mission trip, and the rest of the time I'm just going to live my life. 
right? I'm going to store it all up. I'm going to pray hard. I'm going to evangelize then. And the rest of the time, I'm not going to really, it's not important. Maybe start with your neighbors. I don't know about you, but on our, in our neighborhood, we probably have at least eight other countries represented. These unreached people groups and, and these people from all around, you know, the global missions that's out there, it's coming to your doorstep. Are you aware of that? Have you made friends with your neighbors? Have you had conversations with your neighbors? Uh, let me continue. Let me, let me talk about the work of missions then. So, so what is the work of missions? If it's making disciples, how do you do it? So what's really interesting, if you look, in, in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham's servant, Eliezer, is tasked with going and getting a wife for his son Isaac at the time. And Eliezer goes, and as he's trying to figure out who he should get, he finally gets Rebecca, if, you, if you've read the story. And before he um, gets Rebecca, he sees her. And he, well, before then, he's, he's at the well, and he prays to God. This man, Eliezer, who's a servant of Abraham. And I've often wondered, and I've realized, how did Eliezer get to know who the God of the universe was? Because Abraham made it a point to make disciples. There's, there's three things that you do. You know, in life, being a Christian, there's three roles that you play. There's the prophetic, there's the priestly, and there's the kingly. The prophetic is to, to speak the truth, you know, to be kind of like God's mouthpiece. And sometimes you need to have these conversations with your neighbors, your coworkers. Why do you think you're there in that government office? Or in that, you know, Fairfax County schools and Loudoun County schools and wherever the county schools, they, they probably need Jesus more than anywhere else. I, you know, our schools are, you know, forgive me, kind of crazy, aren't they? And who's going to show them the truth if it's not you? For those of you who are IT professionals, if, if all you think your job is is to just make a paycheck and you could act however you want and you don't see the call to make disciples there, then who's going to reach out to your office mates? You've got to make disciples by having those conversations and speaking the truth. And when the rest of your office is, is complaining about and saying horrible things about your supervisor or some coworker, and you stand alone and say, I, you know, I, I think we should be, I think we should give them a break. And they're like, what? Why? And you're like, well, maybe, I don't know, walk a mile in their moccasins, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what? And you're like, actually, I'm informed by the Bible. or I'm a Christian. Or you're, you know, you're, your son's got a, a big soccer game, and it's like the playoffs. Forget about the playoffs. It's like the final game. But that week, they schedule it on Sunday at 11 o'clock when your child has youth group. Oh, snap. And you say, you know what? My child is going to miss the finals. And the rest of the group is like, what in the? You're, you're, he's our star player. And you're like, well... My, my son's a Christian, and for us, you know, we're going to choose to go to church. I'm not saying you should do that necessarily, but maybe. <laughs> Beloved, I, I think the, the, the work of missions, you know, prophetic, there's also the priestly. Look at what Abraham is doing here. He's uh, so... God is about to kill, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham comes and intercedes and says, God, God, for the sake of 50, please save them. For the sake of 45, he, he's, he's, he's negotiating with God. And kind of where the prophet is God's mouthpiece, the priest is interceding on behalf of the people. The prophet on behalf of God, the priest on behalf of people, and he's saying, God, have mercy, have mercy. And that's 
That's the work of missions. It's, it's the work of intercession and praying and, 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 and advocating, like we heard about this morning, advocating for your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members. And then the kingly, you know, governing and, and leading. It's, it's extraordinary work, but it's also layered on top of what I would call the mundane work. Because I don't, I, I don't know, the, the Bible doesn't tell us how Abraham made Eliezer a disciple. Right? And even here, if you look at this conversation that, that Abraham is having with, with God, right before this, he was doing the mundane work. They, they shared a meal together. They talked about kids. You know, when I visit my missionary friends that are in global, like far off places, or I talk to other people, they have the same conversations that you and I have. You know, they talk about how their kids drive them crazy, or they talk about stocks or about recipes for like, you know, yummy meals, or about how their neighbor's dog pooed on their lawn, or whatever it is, it's, it's the same thing. But the priority and the ultimate banner that encompasses everything that they do is the call to make disciples. They're interceding. Are you interceding for your neighbors, for your coworkers? your family members, your children. That work of being a missionary is extraordinary and incredibly ordinary. And sometimes I think we think, well, being a missionary is like getting a machete and carving away through some jungle and then eating a worm. And we're like, oh, I can't, that's, I can't be a missionary. I'm not a missionary. You know, yes, you are. Sometimes it's taking a machete to Fair Oaks Mall. No, don't ever do that. But really, sometimes it's going to the mall instead of just buying what you want. It's walking through and praying for the people there that you know are lost. And growing a heart and saying, Lord, have mercy on these people. I'm going to be completely honest. You know, a lot of us, and I'm going to give you a couple of suggested takeaways. A lot of us are so afraid that God's going to call us to missions. And I hope you realize he already has. Because we're afraid of being incredibly uncomfortable, right? Like, go. Oh, but Nova's so comfortable, right? Most of you chose to live in Nova not because you were like, I want a hard life. Get me a house in Fairfax. God, I want to suffer for you in Vienna. No, no, most of us have not said that. Let's be honest, right? Most of us drive our cars and chose our cars not because, Lord, give me the most difficult, most awful car you can. You know, that I'm, no, most of us are like, hmm, electric, nice, buy it, right? And so we're so afraid that God is going to call us to something incredibly uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you this. Ministry to the military has been so robust because whether they want to be or not, our military members are in a constant state of discomfort. But I call it a divine discomfort. They're moving around every couple of years. Their spouses are deployed to like weird places, sometimes data masked and undisclosed places where they can't even tell their spouse about. Some of us, I mean, some of them are, are, are like in submarines and they're like, honey, I can't speak to you for a couple of weeks because we're going to go under and there's no communication. And through all of that uncomfortable life, I see in so many of our military such a robust faith because they're sojourning. They realize this world is not our home. 
they realize that there is a greater mission than trying to be comfortable. And it applies to all of us. You know, there's this great passage, and I, and I kind of skipped it, but if we go back, there's this great passage in uh, Hebrews when, it, when it's talking about uh, Abraham, and it says this. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to that city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And this part I want to emphasize. These all died, and they're talking about all these saints of all. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus made it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would not have had opportunity, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I, I've, we've... We used to live here for a long time, but Gene and I and the boys, we've lived here now for seven months, and uh, uh, Nova's kind of killing me. I don't know. Do you guys feel this way? Like, I feel like Bilbo Baggins. Like, if you've read the Lord of the Rings or you've seen the movie, there's this one scene where he's, you know, he's, he's got this ring. He's trying to control this ring that's going to, and he says, oh, I, I feel thin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you guys feel thin? Like, you're, you're, you, you've so clung to comfort, but it's killing you. And you're afraid that God's going to send you somewhere, ask you to do something that's going to ultimately, like, and you're so fearful. But I, I don't know how else to say sorry. That's the call of the Christian is to make disciples. I'm going to give a couple of takeaways before I get to my last point. I think some of you guys need to leave Nova. Like, it's killing you. And it's not a bad thing. Like, maybe not even too far away. Maybe, maybe move to, like, Anacostia. You're like, you're nuts. But maybe. The houses there are more affordable. I don't know. Something happens when you've got bullets flying around you. Like, you pray more. <laughs> and maybe you should bring a group with you. For those of you who are empty nesters, what's the term that we use for the, for the empty nesters? The legacies. That's such a weird word, man. Like... But for those of you who've done a great job already making disciples of your children, maybe you need to go and make disciples somewhere else. Or start this way. You, I, I, I follow you on Facebook, and you, you take some of the most amazing vacations to places I've never heard of. I don't know what Turks and Caicos is. And, you know, it's, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But maybe the next time you go, go to the other side of the island where the locals live and say, maybe half our vacation, we should go and reach out to them. Uh, you know, are you uncomfortable? I'm sorry. Some of you should volunteer at a homeless shelter. Some of you need to give away a lot of your money. It's killing you. Like, be generous. Some of you need to sell that big home of yours that's stressing you out with that mortgage you could barely afford and downsize 
and take some of that money and do something else with it. You know, maybe you've got a friend who, who can't afford a house. Gina and I can't afford a house. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not that hard being a missionary. It's just committing to that call. I've got to make disciples. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. And this world is not my home. I'm a sojourner. I'm going to get to my last point, uh, the motivation for missions. And I, I, <laughs> if I stop the sermon now, I think all of you would just feel a lot of uh, Korean-American condemnation, right? You're going to feel like, my gosh, I feel awful. I'm going to go, is Pastor Hank telling me to sell my Tesla? And what is he saying? Whatever. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If, if you look at Moses, I'm not sorry, at, at, at Abraham, uh, there's this commentator by the name of Gerard von Rod who wrote this commentary, and he says in Genesis 18 that, that Abraham is being brought through a theological revelation. God is taking Abraham on a theological journey, and it's going like this. What is Abraham doing here? He's learning to intercede, and he's learning this deep theological truth that the sins of many can be atoned for by the righteousness of a few. He's saying, God, for the righteous, if there are 50 righteous, will you rescue this whole city? And God says, yes. And he goes down to 45, 30, 20, 10. Von Rod says that it, we're left unsatisfied because we want him to go the whole way to be like, Lord, Lord, how about for the righteousness of one, will you rescue the many? For the one. Well, Abraham stood in the gap, and the reality was Sodom and Gomorrah did not have one righteous person in their city. But it left Abraham with this knowledge that God could take the righteousness of one and have it atone for the sins of many. A couple of chapters later, Abraham has a son by the name of Isaac, and God says to him, Abraham... Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and go sacrifice him for me, the, mounts, the mountains of Moriah. That's, that's what we all are afraid of, aren't we? We're afraid that one day God's going to come to us like that rich young ruler and be like, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And we're going to be like, uh, but then what about me? And he did that to Abraham. And so, you know, you, you know the passage. Abraham was like, heck no, God, right? In Genesis 22, 6, it says, heck no, God. No, he doesn't say that. He says, okay, I will take my son. And he walks him up that mountain. And God brings him to the point where he is about to kill his son. And God says, stop. Someone else instead of your son will die. And he says, there's a ram caught in the thicket. But... Uh, and, and he sacrifices the ram. And, 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 and uh, Abraham calls the place Peniel, which means on this mountain, God will provide. A couple thousand years later, in the same mountain range of Moriah, in a city called Jerusalem, you know what happens. God sends his one son, his only son, his son that he loves. And he kills him. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's hard being a chaplain. It really is. Like, there are days where I, I want to go through the Pentagon and have the same scowl that everyone else has. 
Because this is kind of the way that people walk through the Pentagon. They're like, and I just want to be like, <laughs> it's hard. Sometimes I want to complain. Sometimes I want to say, God, you know, I want to buy a Tesla. And to be honest with you, it's not to make a disciple. It's because I want to be a disciple of Elon Musk myself. <laughs> I love the Tesla. Sometimes I'm like, make disciples. Oh, I just want to take a break, God. Really? Why can't it just be like? And then God reminds me, right? I say, God, I don't want to be uncomfortable. And he reminds me of the one who abandoned the comforts of glory and was sent, who came and made me his disciple. And he did it in the most uncomfortable way, being crucified on a cross. And the more I look at that, the more I ponder that truth of what Jesus did, the more I'm like, God, you know, like anywhere, anywhere, Anacostia, deepest, darkest Peru, anywhere, God. There's no place. And when I look at Jesus who died for me, I say, anything. God, what do you want me to do? You want me to sweep the floors of the Pentagon? I'll do it. I don't need to be a chaplain. Whatever you call me to do, as long as I can make disciples and tell the world about who you are. Anywhere, anything. Because of the one who came and gave everything for me. That's what Jesus did for you. And... And I'll tell you, it's, uh, you know, uh, Gene and I and the boys have had an amazing adventure. Like, I, I, you know, I'm a missionary, you're a missionary. My missionary adventures, we were in Hawaii for three years in Oahu on the beach. We were in Korea and in England. And the world outside of Nova is not so bad. And you do the same thing you do here. You gotta go. And as you're going, you gotta make disciples. The way you grow in your motivation for that is like the words of that famous song. You know, you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full on his glorious face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim the more you realize what he has done for you, for you and for me, it'll become anywhere, anything, God, so that I can make disciples for you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to I wanna ask you this question. Are, are you stressed out and bored? Have you become anxious? Unfulfilled, do you feel thin? Maybe it's because you've been fed this lie that the real people doing the real work of kingdom building are the missionaries and the pastors. And beloved, I'm here to tell you today, you are a missionary. If you are a Christian, you are a missionary. And there is no missions month. Every month of the year is a missions month. Every day of every week of every month of every year. There's no break, and I'm going to tell you this. He's not calling you to do something so crazy that you can't. 
reprioritize what you want for your children. Have a conversation and get to know your neighbors. Use your resources for something other than your own empire and say, Lord, you've made me rich for your kingdom's sake. God, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who've just been feeling out of sorts and maybe uncomfortable. God, you use our discomforts to ultimately draw us closer to you, and that's my prayer for them. May they not seek places of comfort. May they not seek to get out of this discomfort or you know, go deeper and deeper into comfort, but instead may you use whatever struggles they're having now to drive home the truth that your call on their life is to make disciples. And what a glorious, glorious mission that is. What an adventure. What a privilege. And God, the more that we ponder and look at Jesus, and the more that good news becomes great, amazing news, may it cause our hearts more and more to say anywhere, anything, anytime, oh Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What a privilege. Now as we are going, as we go, help us to make disciples. We pray this in the one who came to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.